what we've been looking at since Easter, actually, about how we are the church and we have this awesome message that God's entrusted to us and we can do it together. We can be bold, we talked about, because we have the promises of God to come back to, whether that be bold in sharing or just bold when we're scared in life or depressed or whatever it might be. And uh, before we get going in today's message, that's kind of the capstone sort of uh, launch point to the rest of the book of Acts, I invite you to uh, take out that gold insert in your service folder if you, if you don't mind. And uh, even if you're not feeling, you know, motivated or, you know, inspired to fill in blanks, I still think it, being on your lap can be a blessing to you as you uh, see where we're going uh, today as we study Acts 10. Question to start, um, do any of you, and you know, I'll kind of uh, sort of uh, preface this by saying no one's gotten it yet, all right? So does anyone know what the, anac- the acronym CNO means? And I didn't know before this week either, so, and I'll give you a hint, it's a, it's a military term, CNO. Do you know, John? You're, okay, let's see. Oh, oh. See, John's in the military, so, or was, so I thought maybe he knew it. So it's, it means casualty notification officer. And so the CNO is actually that man or woman, that soldier, who's given the very difficult job of going to the home of a soldier who's died in service to the country and to let the family know for the very first time that their loved one has indeed died. And I was listening to an interview of a CNO um, this past week online, and he described, obviously, no surprise here, how hard of a job that is. And he described how his orders as a CNO is to be unemotional, that he's supposed to be stoic, um, no hugs, no, you know, tears. He's supposed to be strong, so to speak, for the family, and how more than once... The reaction of the family, you know, led him to almost break down in tears. And then he also explained something else that I had never thought about before, but now I don't think I'll ever forget. And that is this, that there is this, he said, this strange, surreal time between when he receives the news that a person's loved one has died and then that moment where he's there to tell them the news. And he said, you know, it's not a long amount of time, but sometimes you'll even get a picture of the family and so forth. And as he looks at the family, he said it's surreal because he knows that he has this information that as soon as it comes off of his lips, it's going to totally change someone's life forever. That as soon as this information that he has in his brain comes out of his mouth, that a family's world is going to be rocked forever. And he said, because of that time thinking about of how important these words are, he said he takes a lot of time to rehearse. He doesn't, he has a note card, but he, he doesn't want to look down at it. He rehearses how he's going to say it. He rehearses the name over and over again so he can look those people, those loved ones in the eyes and to tell them this very difficult news that's going to change their life. Now, I don't know if you've ever had, like, news like that, that just was going to change someone's life, and maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, but as I was listening to the CNO, I couldn't help but think, 
because I'm a pastor, can help but think, I think I have news like that. In fact, I think we all have been given news just like that, and now you just have to do a 180-degree flip in your brain because as bad as the news the CNO has to change a person's life maybe in a negative way, on the exact opposite extreme, we, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, has been entrusted with news that (laughs) can rock a person's world when they hear it and believe it and take it to heart with God's help even more, can totally 100% change them. And that's really what we've been looking at in this series, how some good news rocked thousands of people in the first century. And if you think I'm overstating how this message can change a person, two things. It's probably because you've been a Christian for most or all of your life, and you, like I, have the temptation or tendency to take it for granted. The other thing is, if you think I'm overstating, is then we just need to think about the 12 disciples. We, we looked at this, I think it was in week one or two, of how the disciples on the day that Jesus died, you know, like the, the people who are entrusted to lead the church, and to spread the message that on the day Jesus died and the day after on Saturday, where are they? We've talked about this. They're huddled in a room. They're scared. They're thinking that the the people who have arrested and killed Jesus are probably going to arrest and kill me. They're frady cats. They're not leaders. They're not people that you name churches after. St. Frady Cat, you know, there's there's no such thing. But then you fast forward a few months and you see some of these same guys. I'm going to pick on Peter and John, okay? And there, their worst nightmare comes true because they are arrested like they were hoping they wouldn't be. They're standing in front of Annas and Caiaphas, who are the ones who killed Jesus, who they hoped they didn't have to stand in front of. And Annas and Caiaphas, we looked at this in chapter 4, say to Peter and John, all right, guys, we'll give you one more chance. You get a second chance. You just need to, from now on, stop saying, and remember, they wouldn't even say Jesus, stop saying the name. Quit talking about the name. And you would think that frady cat leaders of the early church would be like, oh, thank you, sir, thank you for a second chance, and walk out with their head between their legs and thinking, hey, let's go to Galilee where it's safe. But what they actually do In essence, it's as if they walk out of jail and turn around and go right back into the temple and start talking about Jesus. They walk out of jail in another place, all 11 of them go into the city streets and keep talking about Jesus. Totally changed. Why? Because of news. Because of a message that they had not only heard, but also saw with their own eyes. You know what the the message that changed people's lives is? It's really simple, and it's our first fill-in-the-blank, and we kind of just sang about this in the We Believe song, but that Jesus came to this earth, he lived, he died, he rose again. 
Following Jesus is not about a lifestyle at its core. It's not about a philosophy at the center. It's about a historical event. And our faith and knowledge and trust in Jesus, who lived in our place, died or lived the perfect life, died in our place, and rose again in victory. And as the disciples had the chance to see Jesus alive, it changed them. <laughs> You're not sure maybe even today how this can totally change your life. You can understand how it changes your eternity maybe, but how does it change my life right now? Well, for the disciples, this message was their peace. You know why? Because what are Jewish leaders going to do to them? If God, who planned and fulfilled all that he had promised through Jesus, was on their side. And there's peace that comes with that. This message was the source of their hope. So they might die and then get to go to heaven and see Jesus again, which they wanted to do anyway. And maybe you have a bad medical diagnosis, or maybe you have a loved one who has had that, or maybe, maybe um, you're fearful of death. This is the only way you can cope. It's your greatest source of hope. And it was their greatest source of purpose. Um, when you know that someone lived and died for you and they're your hope and your peace, I think living for anything else is trivial. And I'm not saying everyone quit their job and become pastors, okay? We don't need all of you to be pastors in the sense that I'm a pastor. But I'm saying is living to be successful is trivial. Living for the one who redeems you and then being successful because he blesses you is real purpose. Living to have is trivial. Living for the one who redeemed you and then he gives to you is real purpose. And this message changes everything. And then Jesus said, hey, that message that changes everything, I now want you to go and share it. And, and he said, that first week, he said, go and, and tell people in Jerusalem and then go and tell people in the state of Judea and then in that place you don't want to go, Samaria, and then everywhere. And basically what, what Jesus was saying is the theme of our message today, go and tell everybody. That's our next fill-in. The message of Jesus is for everybody. And, you know, you know what literally everybody means? You know, it just means Everybody. Just, you know, split the word up. There's the literal meaning. Every body, every one, big people and small people, both need Jesus, and it's for him. Tall people and short people. People who've been to church all their life and people who are skeptical and never have been to church, Jesus is for both of them. Republicans, Jesus is for. Democrats, Jesus has come for. Libertarians, Jesus is for. Tea party is people like that like tea and parties it's for them <laughs> jesus is for every body and you're thinking like preacher tell me something i didn't already know 
I knew that. Maybe you did. But knowing it is different than living it. And knowing it is different than breaking down some walls that we might have so that we can do it. Knowing it is different than applying it to yourself when you feel you've done something so bad that God can't be for me. And that's exactly what God needed to teach Peter at the time of our lesson for today. So at at the time of our lesson, um, Peter is in the town of Joppa. And uh, when I had a chance to lead a group over to Israel about five, six years ago, we stopped in Joppa. It's a beautiful little uh, town right on the Mediterranean Sea. And they think they know where Simon the Tanner's home is. And we kind of toured it or at least saw it from the outside. And and Peter was there. And... um, And while he was there, it was about lunchtime and he was hungry. Now, I don't know if any of you, when you're hungry, have ever daydreamed about food, you know, like Whopper, Big Mac. That's not what my wife daydreams about, I know that. But uh, other more healthy foods, right? Whatever it might be, you maybe have daydreamed about food. Well, this isn't what happened to Peter. But being hungry, he did have a vision of food, okay? So Peter's hungry. He's about to eat lunch. God allows a vision to happen where there's this sheet of food that comes down, and on the sheet is a whole bunch of different types of food. Food that, as a Jew, Peter would have been okay eating and food that he wasn't at one time allowed to eat. And this goes back to our scripture lesson, um, our our lessons that led up to the sermon today. Again, remember, Peter had this very difficult situation that he was in, and really all the Jews did. And so Jesus tells them to go spread the message to everybody, but at the same time, he grew up with certain prejudices. And, And some of that was understandable because God had told them that the Jews kind of had this special place, this special role that, that the Savior would come from their line. So if you read through the Old Testament, it's mostly about what group of people? The Jews, the descendants of Abraham. And that's not because they were better. It's because God had planned for Jesus to come from Abraham's line, and so God did whatever it took to protect, to preserve them, so his plan of salvation would come, for, come to fruition. But in the process, the Jews tended to have a superiority complex that God never intended, a sinful superiority complex. And so they looked at Jews as as Gentiles as being lesser than them, being unclean. And, And Jesus had even taught the disciples. He said, you know, all those unclean, clean rules, they've all been fulfilled. Don't worry about them anymore. But God knew Peter was still holding on to this. And so this this sheet comes down, there's clean and unclean food on it, and God says, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter's like, what? And it's recorded, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I might be hungry, I'm not that hungry. He said, really? Eat everything that you see, it's okay. In fact, here's what God said in Acts 10 verse 15. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And and it was like God reminding Peter, hey, Peter, things have changed, okay? 
These laws are done away with. And then the vision of the sheet ends, and if you read through Acts chapter 10, it's like in that very moment, there's a dun, dun, dun. It's a knock at the door. And Peter now goes off the, the roof where he was going to eat, and he goes down to the door, and he opens the door, and it's like his worst nightmare. You know why? Two Gentile people. And he had been grown, grown up being taught that Gentiles are unclean, don't associate with Gentiles. And now they're right here at my door and they want to talk to me. And in fact, the two guys say that God had told them that Peter's supposed to go with them and to go back to the home of a Gentile named Cornelius and to spend the entire day with Gentiles. Now, I kind of like Gentiles, but Peter, on the other hand, I was trying to think of a modern-day comparison that would help you relate to what Peter's going through. And everything that I could think of limps, but here's something that might help a little bit. Some of you were born and raised in Minnesota. Some of you weren't. And some of you who were born in Minnesota were born and raised from little on by your dad, probably, that you like the Vikings and that you don't like Green and gold, right? You don't like the Packers, right, John Sackett and Tim Peterson? Yeah, all right. So what, just imagine that John and Tim are on the top of a building and uh, they, you get a vision. And down comes a sheet and the sheet opens and in that sheet is like everything you could think of green and gold with a big G's on them. And there's a Rogers jersey, and you know, you name the player, it's, it's all there. And God says to you, get up and wear. Get up and put it all on, all right? And then the sheet leaves, and you hear a knock at the door, and you go downstairs, and, and, and there's two Packer fans. And they're like, hey, there's this awesome Packer rally that we're going to in Green Bay, and God told me that you need to come with me. And then you multiply that by a thousand because we weren't not talking sports, we're talking faith and spirituality and relationship with God. And you might be scratching the surface of how difficult this could have been for Peter. But Peter goes, and then Peter gets to the house of the Packer fan, I mean, Gentile named Cornelius, and he goes into the house. And Cornelius is like, hey, I, I didn't think you'd come. And Peter says, I just had this vision about food, and God was preparing me to soften my heart and to realize that the gospel is even for Gentiles. So I came. And he goes inside, and he sees a whole group of Gentiles there. And he begins to see their faith. And he shares with them details about what he had seen Jesus die and rise again. And at the end of chapter 10, there's like this, some people call it the Gentile Pentecost. Because the Holy Spirit comes down just like on Pentecost. And there's this visual sign of the Holy Spirit's presence as the people are, are speaking in different languages. And there's other just sort of appearances of the Holy Spirit there. And Peter takes all this in. And he makes 
this amazing comment that is kind of the centerpiece of our message for today. It's verses 34 to 36 of chapter 10. Peter then began to speak to Cornelius and all the Gentiles. I now realize how true it is. I now realize what it really means that God doesn't show favoritism, but he accepts people from every nation who fear him, who have faith in him, and who then do what is right. You guys know the message God sent to the people of Israel. As he told the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord not just of the Jews, but Lord of all. What, what, what Peter is saying is, he's saying, you may not be Jewish, you may not get all the Jewish rituals. In our language, you may not be church people. But here's what I see and I know. That Jesus is for you, and I and the church better do whatever it takes that you, even Gentiles, know who he is. Because what God taught Peter is that the gospel of Jesus is for everybody. And you know what happened from that point forward? If you read the next 18 chapters, which remember, that's your assignment. You've got two months. The church exploded. Up until chapter 10, it was just in Jerusalem. After that, the entire Roman Empire. Because I think part of it was the leaders recognizing that the gospel is for everybody and what everybody really, really means. Now, there are some pretty awesome truths to take home from this today for us. Some of them you're already thinking about, but I, I want to crystallize two of them. One is for you personally, and one is for our church. So let's, let's talk about the personal one first, the personal takeaway of this message and of this section. Um, we are people who are very uncomfortable with our sin. And the reason why I know that is because we are all, and I'm going I'm to just say we, even though I know I need to start with me, but I think you're probably the same. We're experts at blaming other things or other people or other situations for the sin that we ourselves are really battling with and the sin that's really in our hearts. Um, I, I will confess, I'm an expert at convincing myself that the reason why I'm frustrated at times is because of other people in my life other than me. It's not true. We're experts at blaming others for our unhappiness other than to face, it's really something inside of me. We're professionals at convincing ourselves the reason I feel so lousy is because God's been unfair to me. Instead of confessing that it's really something inside of me. And maybe you're wondering, well, what is it? What is it inside of me? Well, A, it's sin, but B, I think it's a lack of recognition of what we really need. Always, that's what it is. Uh, this has been brought home to me this 
last month as I was uh, reading a book that just the title is, is enough, and I'd really recommend it. it, it just, it's deep, it's a deep read, but it's a good one. The title is Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. We may nod our heads, but we have a hard, hard time embracing that. But it's true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Here's what that means. Jesus is the source of everything I need. You know why I'm unhappy? You know why we're unhappy? Because we're looking for happiness in places other than Jesus. But if we look for happiness in Jesus first, we will be happy, and then there will be other happy things that come in our lives, and we'll be even happier, right? I'm unfulfilled. We're unfulfilled. Because we're trying to find fulfillment in things that will never fill us up. Fulfillment comes first and foremost through Jesus. And then there's other things. I'm frustrated. We're frustrated because we daily battle sin and we daily lose the battle. And just as we're like at this point where, yes, that is me and I can't break out of this and I don't know what to do, then you turn to Acts 10 and you hear what God says to Cornelius and God says, you're a sinner and you're a packer. No, you're a Gentile. And Jesus is for you. Because our next fill-in, everybody means that Jesus is forgiveness, forgiveness is for me. If we're going to really embrace everybody, you have to recognize that you, in every situation in life, unless you reject Christ altogether, and that's a different topic and story, but any other situation, you're a part of everybody, even at your lowest lows. And Jesus' forgiveness and love and grace is for you. Now, there's also an application, I think, to our church and to really churches. Before Peter received this vision of the food um, and was kind of forced to spend uh, a day at the home of Cornelius, uh, he was in danger of limiting everybody to just the people who looked like him, who had the same background as him and who understood the rituals and all the things that came along with being a Jew and, and all of that. In fact, um, the, the early church really struggled with making people look Jewish before they would be allowed to receive the peace that comes through Jesus. Uh, we looked at this a couple years ago, Acts chapter 15, just a really bad thing for encouragement of, of, of males to, to go to church, which was that they were requiring men, before they could be a Christian, that they'd have to become Jewish, and part of becoming Jewish would be to be circumcised. So I, I imagine starting point had very few men in it. Um, that is quite the, uh, quite the sacrifice to make. You have to look Jewish, you have to look away, one way first, and then you can have Jesus. <laughs> is that what they were tasked with? Makes me, uh, it makes me think about um, a couple weeks ago, the kids and I went on a little hike at uh, uh, Lebanon Hills County Park, and we went on a little trail around one of the lakes. And as you know, it's been 
really rainy, and I didn't think about that, and we didn't wear the proper shoes, really, because there were some really, really muddy spots along the trail. And most of them we could kind of navigate around because there was a, a little maybe footpath to the side of the, the bigger path. But there was this one spot that was just huge, and we didn't know what to do. We knew where we wanted to get, but there was this big mud pit in front of us. And so me and a couple of the kids, we kind of went up the hill. We went to look for the high ground, you know, where it's, it's uh, less wet and less muddy, and we still couldn't get across. Uh, Chloe had decided just to kind of hop across um, on stones and things, and, and, you know, I'm just like having this nightmare of like all their shoes, you know, being ruined, and I, we wore the wrong shoes. And so it was like 10 minutes of trying to figure this out. How do we, maybe five, but to try to get across this. And it almost was to the point where I'm like, it is not even worth it. Let's save our shoes and let's walk back the other way. And as I'm, I'm think, as now I think back on that, I think that's how sometimes it, has, it is for people who come to church. They're searching for something, and we know what that is. We know that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but they get to church or a church, and there's this big mud pit in front of them of all these things that aren't really the heart and core of the gospel that makes it really hard for them to hear the gospel. It makes it really hard and distracting for them to really understand the main point. And you might be confused, like, what is Ben talking about? Well, here are some things. What about church lingo in a worship service, let's say, that your average person who's seeking Jesus isn't going to understand. Like, let's open up to the letter of Galatians. Okay, I did that today. Thankfully, we also had it in the service folder, right? But most, many of you don't know where Galatians is, right? I know there's a table of contents in the front, much less someone who's not churched. Maybe the mud pit is an environment that seems very out of touch with the world that they're living in and a wonderment, well, does that mean then that the God that they worship is out of touch with my reality? Maybe it's an unwelcoming environment where they feel like an outsider, like a Gentile among Jews, so to speak. And we don't always get this right, but if you've ever wondered, Where are we going as a church, and why all this stuff that seems to always change? That's the reason. Because we as a church, and we don't get this right all the time, we're growing in it. But my vision, our vision together, is that we are passionate about the main thing, the news. Jesus died, he lived, he died, he rose again. And that at this church, our last fill-in, everybody means that the church is centered on Jesus. And it doesn't mean we flippantly get rid of ritual or flippantly get rid of tradition, but we are constantly thinking, is this about ritual or is this about Jesus? That everything is about leading all who are here to understand who Jesus is. And why There's only one thing that has the power to change your life. There's only one message that can truly help you get through what you're getting through. And it might be a process. But when you get through it, you will look back and you will find it was Jesus.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your interaction with Peter that taught him about what everybody means and has taught us today that everybody means me and that now we have the task of sharing it with everybody. Guide and bless us as individuals and as a church to do that, to make Jesus clear and then know that you will work through that message. Lord, we also come to you in prayer today and we ask you to be with the the people of this state and and surrounding states who are going through uh, lots of challenges with flooding. If If it's your will, protect them and their possessions from harm. If that's not your will, lead them to find their strength and purpose and peace in you. We also, Lord, um, thank you for uh, blessing us uh, with the arrival of the Ewart family this last week and ask you to continue to guide them as they get adjusted to uh, Lakeville and to Bethlehem and uh, guide and bless Matt's ministry among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray this and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our thank offerings.